Welcome to a special edition of the So We Speak podcast. After all the things that have gone on the last few weeks, especially the Judge Kavanaugh hearing and the confirmation over the weekend, we thought it'd be nice to do a special edition where we gave you access to this week's Weekly Speak. As many of you know, over on our Patreon, we publish the Weekly Speak every Monday morning. It contains a summary of the news and events that are going on and includes links and recommended reads if you want to go deeper into all the things that are transpiring in the public square. The reason we think this is so important is because Christians need to be informed about what's going on in the world. We need to be able to engage with people who are thinking and talking about things like the Kavanaugh hearings. But we also need to preserve the ability not to be conformed to what the world thinks about the things that are going on. So our goal every week is to publish top quality news and worldview analysis to keep you informed without being conformed. So what I want to do today is I want to give you access to the weekly speak, covering all the things that are going on, especially the Kavanaugh hearings. So the Kavanaugh saga came to an end this weekend as the Senate voted 50 to 48 to confirm the judge to the Supreme Court. The supplementary FBI investigation came back without any additional corroboration to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's charges. And even the Democrats did not point to the testimonies the FBI obtained, but cited Judge Kavanaugh's temperament, his relationship with alcohol, his social status, and the need for delay as reasons to vote against his confirmation. Dr. Ford has said she'll not pursue the matter any further and does not want Justice Kavanaugh to be impeached. Nevertheless, the confirmation vote may be just the beginning of an ongoing battle over the Supreme Court and the right to decide the law in America. Here are a few of the ongoing implications. First, lawyer activists are the new normal. Senator Chuck Grassley and his team put up with a lot the past few weeks, not the least of which being the Katz law firm who represented Dr. Ford. From the very beginning, when Dr. Ford's lawyers delayed and obstructed access to testimony and did not share the information with their client about the possibility of meeting California, Deborah Katz and her team revealed that they would do everything possible to aid the Democratic cause. Senator Grassley asked them three times last week to hand over Dr. Ford's therapy notes, contact with the Washington Post, and the law firm's communication with Senators Feinstein and Hirono, all things Dr. Ford alluded to in her testimony, all things the law firm refused to hand over. While the communication may never come out between the Katz team and the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, they played the past few weeks hand in glove. Michael Avenatti, provocateur extraordinaire, played an outsized role in the hearings as well. He represented Julie Swetnick, who said Justice Kavanaugh had exposed himself to her and others at a party in college. Avenatti continued to turn up the rhetoric on cable news shows and on his Twitter feed, even as his client backtracked on her allegations. While he burst onto the scene as a Trump-esque firebrand representing Stormy Daniels and toying with the possibility of a presidential run, the tides have turned for Avenatti. Many Democrats believe that he turned the tide against them, not for them. Second, Senator Susan Collins won the day, but it may cost her in the long run. From the very beginning, even before the sexual misconduct allegations, everybody knew this vote would come down to a few key votes. Joe Manchin, a Democratic senator from West Virginia, up for re-election in November. Lisa Murkowski, a pro-choice Republican from Alaska. And Susan Collins, a pro-choice Republican from Maine. With the addition of retiring Senator Jeff Flake, these were the deciding votes. Senator Collins spoke for 45 minutes last week explaining her vote, and her comments are well worth listening to and reading in full. In sum, Collins believes that Dr. Ford was sexually assaulted, but that she does not believe it was Justice Kavanaugh, and she does not believe that there was enough evidence presented to disqualify the justice from confirmation. She also spoke against the leaking of Dr. Ford's letter to Senator Feinstein, commended Senator Grassley, and praised the impact of the Me Too movement. Democrats have vowed to unseat Collins, and it appears that former Obama National Security Advisor Susan Rice may be the one to do it. Third, 
The Me Too movement has pitted itself against due process and the Republican Party. Last month, in an interview with The Economist, Steve Bannon, no stranger to controversy and no friend of progressives, said that the Me Too movement is the most powerful political movement in the world right now. And he may be right. The groundswell among Me Too and Believe Women activists has been astounding. The Women's March, now a political activist group, tweeted pictures of every senator on the Judiciary Committee and one of Susan Collins with rape apologist inscribed over their faces. They've called for women everywhere to oppose the Republican Party and to harass those who supported Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation wherever they can find them. 538 shows a continued widening between men and women over the Republican Party and midterm candidates. Now that the confirmation is over, a new picture may be emerging. There are many women who supported Justice Kavanaugh, and while they don't get any representation in the mainstream media, they may end up casting the decisive votes in November. The most alarming trend coming out of the last few weeks is the blatant disregard for the rule of law and the rule of evidence. Just check out the hashtag BelieveWomen. Senator Booker said last week it didn't matter whether Kavanaugh was innocent or guilty, but that it was time to move on to another candidate. This is slightly more reasonable than Senator Hirono's now infamous comments, and I quote, Guess who's perpetrating all of these kinds of actions? It's the men in this country, Hirono said. I just want to say that the men in this country should shut up and step down. Do the right thing for a change. The disregard for normal legal processes when it comes to the case of harassment is staggering. Senator Ben Sass has been a breath of fresh air through this entire process and gave an extremely insightful impression speech about the opposition between Me Too and the American legal system last week. In sum, he said, We can change the dynamics of power, make progress against sexual assault, and stand up for women without tearing down the American system of justice. Lastly, President Trump is still the most influential voice in American politics. While the media on both sides of the divide praised the president's restraint early in the confirmation process, he couldn't hold his tongue or his keyboard forever. During a press conference to discuss the new USMCA trade agreement, President Trump stood up for Kavanaugh and blasted the lack of evidence presented to corroborate Dr. Ford's claims. In typical Trump fashion, he also tweeted in defense of Kavanaugh and mocked Dr. Ford at a campaign rally. All in all, the president likely helped Kavanaugh and sparked support from the Republican base. In an interview with the Washington Post, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell summarized the impact of the Kavanaugh hearings on the entire country. I want to thank the mob, because they've done the one thing we were having trouble doing, which was energizing our base. For Christians, there are many strands in this story that should be alarming, but there's one of particular significance. No one knows what's true anymore. The furor over Kavanaugh's confirmation isn't simply a matter of having different opinions. The disagreement goes much deeper than that. No one actually knows what happened during the summer of 1982. No one knows what went on in Senator Dianne Feinstein's office between the time she received the letter from Dr. Ford and the time someone leaked it to the public six weeks later. No one knows what Dr. Ford's therapy notes say from 2012. And no one knows what the impact of the past few weeks will be leading up to the midterm elections and beyond. What we do know is that people on every side are angry. This gives us an important opportunity to respond very differently than the surrounding culture. Instead of being angry, we should be patient, loving, and resolved to get to the truth, regardless of whether or not it's the conclusion we want to hear. As followers of Christ, we should rejoice that the Justice Kavanaugh appears to be a man that will judge in alignment with the Constitution. And it appears that he will rule in a way that will lead to a defense of religious freedom and pro-life legislation. But even more than that, Despite our political commitments, we should remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices with the truth. 
Several disturbing stories surfaced over the weekend involving the arrest and, and execution of journalists. The Hong Kong government denied the visa renewal application of Victor Mallet, the Financial Times Asian news editor. This denial comes on the heels of rising tension between the Chinese government and the semi-autonomous government of Hong Kong and is the first denial of this kind for a major journalist. In an even more harrowing development, Saudi Arabian journalist Jamal Khashoggi may have been killed in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul last week by a murder team sent by the Saudi government. In an interview, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman said Khashoggi left the consulate with his fiancée, but Khashoggi's fiancée says she has not seen or heard from him. No one knows for certain what happened to Jamal Khashoggi last week. The Saudi government maintains that he is alive, but the Turkish, Turkish government is reporting that he has been murdered. Expect this story to continue to develop as more information comes to light. Finally, Bulgarian journalist Victoria Marinova was murdered last week near the Romanian border. She's the third journalist to have been killed in the European Union in the past year. It's a difficult time for journalists, and we should all be thankful for the ones who put their lives on the line every day to report what's going on in the world. Several Canadian doctors published an article in the Journal of Medical Ethics last month calling for a new discussion of what is known as MAID, or medical assistance in dying. The article's abstract says the authors see a window to decrease the stigma attached to assisted suicide for minors, and the article itself proposes discussion around practices that would allow for children under the age of 18 to decide to end their own lives with physician assistance without any parental knowledge or involvement. In the Catholic Register's coverment of this story, they point out, The proposed policy for sick kids argues that there is no meaningful ethical distinction between a patient choosing to refuse burdensome treatment and accepting an inevitable death versus patients who choose to die by chemical injection before the disease brings on death. But the difference would appear to be obvious. This is another installment in the battle against human dignity, and it's an unusually gruesome tactic. Abortion advocates and transgender groups are also familiar with this move. Separating kids and their parents in the name of patient autonomy is evil and should be opposed in the medical community. Doctors should not be allowed to determine whether or not a minor should be able to end their life, undergo sterilizing hormone treatments, or have an abortion without parental involvement. This article is an important signal for where the conversation over assisted suicide is headed. What's happening in Canada will soon make its way to the United States. In a bit of good news, the New York Times apologizes for a story assignment last week. They issued an apology for assigning Emily Bazelon to cover the Kavanaugh confirmation after she repeatedly expressed her disdain for Kavanaugh on Twitter leading up to the confirmation hearings. A Times spokesperson apologized for allowing Bazelon to contribute to the coverage of the now-famous ice-throwing incident and admitted they should have used someone else to cover the story. While the paper stands by the facts of the story, it's nice to see a little bit of fresh air, some journalistic integrity from the New York Times. This week, we've got three best reads of the week. The first one is called The Big Hack, How China Used a Tiny Chip to Infiltrate U.S. Companies by Jordan Robertson and Michael Riley at Bloomberg Businessweek. This story is a bombshell. For the past three years, the U.S. government has been investigating a report from Amazon that they discovered a tiny microchip inside servers they acquired by purchasing tech startup Elemental. As the story unraveled, it turned out that the chip had been inserted into the server motherboards during assembly at Chinese subcontracting facilities. What's even worse is that the servers assembled in these same factories have been used by the Department of Defense and other government agencies that store top-secret information. It's unclear whether or not these chips were capable of accessing and transmitting information from the servers, but this could be one of the most significant security breaches in history. Second, an article titled Saving the Lost Art of Conversation by Megan Garber in The Atlantic. We're losing the ability to be bored. 
Everywhere we go, we're glued to our iPhones and we pull them out at any slight chance of boredom. While technology has opened up more information than ever before, those quick five-minute evasions have a bigger effect than you might think. MIT psychologist Sherry Turkle argues that conversation and boredom are two of the most important features of the human experience, and they're both evaporating. Garber followed Turkle around for a few hours and discussed the lost art of conversation. In the end, she concluded, Turkle wants us to reclaim the permission to be, and we want to be, and need to be, dull. Third is a review of Girl, Wash Your Face by Tim Challies. Girl, Wash Your Face has sold millions of copies and is currently the second most popular book on Amazon. At first glance, this isn't surprising given the popularity of Christian self-help books. I always enjoy Tim Challies' incisive book reviews, and this one is no exception. What's the central point in Hollis's book? Well, she writes, you and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. In her review at the Gospel Coalition, Alyssa Childress summarized the book's point like this. You come first, and your happiness depends on you. It's easy to see why this is a popular book, but it's not even remotely Christian. The Christian world is suffering from an unprecedented lack of discernment. These two reviews walk through the book and point out the good, the bad, and the ugly. Challies and Childers are models for Christian discernment, and we would all benefit from following their lead. Finally, we've got one Kindle deal for you today, The Prayer That Turns the World Upside Down by Al Mohler. In typical fashion, Mohler begins with scripture, theology, history, and current events. And in this book, he explains the impact of the Lord's Prayer. At 199 and less than 200 pages, this is an easy read on the impact of the world's most famous prayer. While it's become a bit of a Christian cliche, the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' model for every believer. It's God's own instruction on how to talk to Him. There's so much we can learn from this simple prayer, and Moeller will ignite your desire to pray this prayer for all it's worth. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this week's special edition of the So We Speak podcast, and we hope you enjoy the weekly speak. If you'd like to sign up for this coming in your inbox every Monday morning, just head over to our Patreon. I'll put the link in the show notes. And you can sign up for $5 a month to get the best news and analysis uh, that we can provide. Coming tomorrow morning, we're continuing our series on politics, part two of where do Christians fit in the political space? How do we vote? What should we do on a daily basis to be good citizens of the United States and of the kingdom of heaven? We'll see you tomorrow on the So We Speak podcast.